Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is your podcast from movie fans, for movie fans. That's you! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and I am joined once again by Rob Dunham. How you doing, Rob? I'm good. I just watched a movie, and I'm ready to talk about more movies, so let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, yes. All right. So we got a great show in store for you tonight. Uh, We are going to talk about the Fast and Furious actually having an end date. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix has a new megalomaniac to play. Uh, When is a good time to end a series? And we'll also discuss our favorite director's cuts along with our watch list. So Rob, let's, uh, let's get started with news. And I think we need to begin with the announcement that Fast and Furious will have an end to the series. Hard to believe, but they are going to end it. Sad street racing noises. Yes. Yes, the, the announcement came that there will be two movies after the currently finished um, number nine. So this series will end at uh, number 11. Both of the last two will also be directed by Justin Lin. So Rob, what do you think about Fast and Furious finally coming to an end? Well, first and most importantly, I think we need to talk about the fact that if the next movie is not called Fast 10, your seatbelts, I'm riding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I like great news, I guess that it's ending but i also don't <laughs> how much stock to put in this i mean they've already had one spin-off movie the hobbs and shaw movie and i'm positive there's going to be more of those because it did really well at the box office and mm-hmm. the rock is just a money machine yeah so there's no way in my opinion they're not making at least one more of those so as much as fast and the furious might be coming to an end the the whole uh world itself will not be so i i don't really know how much weight or how much emotional investment uh should be put into the fact that they're saying it's ending mm-hmm. um and it's one of those things too that i feel like it will end and then in like five or ten years they'll be like you remember fast and the furious check out this reboot like yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of those things. I feel like it's never going to go away. Personally, yes, this is absolutely true. I, I, I find I find the date compelling that they're ending it, just because it's pretty obvious that there's only so long you can go with the same cast of characters. Now they've added, they've added some, they've removed some, but you know, I mean, let's face it the suspension of disbelief has gone completely out the window a number of movies ago for them. And so at the very least, they need to give it a little pause. And so I think like you were saying, they've already created some spinoffs and I wouldn't, I would imagine that there's a possibility of some other spinoffs or they go back and they revisit some of the old time periods or something. But yeah, this series is not done forever. They're definitely coming back with either reboots or recasts or something later. But I think this probably just means that Vin Diesel's done. But who knows? Yeah. So, 
But I, I always, I always do think it's smart for a, whether it's a TV show or a movie series or something to come out and say, Hey, yes, we are done now. You know, I, calling your end date allows you to wrap things up in a way that's much cleaner and much tidier than you would otherwise expect or otherwise often happens in those circumstances. So I think that's good for them. All right. So moving on from fast and furious, let's talk about Enola Holmes. So Netflix released uh, the numbers on a bunch of its, uh, a bunch of its new movies and things that have come out and Enola Holmes did pretty well. So it looks like uh, Enola Holmes, I'm pulling up the numbers here. I had it I accidentally closed it. Um, this is just, this is just weak production really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rough. I hit we gotta, the we gotta get on our production people for that. It disappeared from my screen. It's like they don't even exist. I know. It's like we're doing this all by ourselves. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Enola Holmes estimated reach, uh, reach in quotation marks, as 76 million over its first four weeks. So that's a pretty good number. I mean, that's only slightly less than the 78 million that the old guard received that we mm. talked about a number of weeks ago. So it did pretty well. Now, there is some grain of salt in some of these because um, the way Netflix does their, their ratings, basically it's anyone who watched for two minutes or more. And their number for, for that is simply because they feel like if you watch for two minutes, you at least intentionally did it. It wasn't just to accidentally click. Sounds like the Facebook method of video counting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, who knows? But that's those are pretty good numbers for Netflix and pretty good numbers for Enola Holmes. What was your impression of the of the numbers here? Yeah, I, I got to say that I was fairly impressed with the movie when I watched it myself. Um, I thought there was some things about it that would recommend it to a more broader general audience, but I didn't necessarily think it would have that broad of a reach. Uh, it's I think it's. Uh, it's exciting to see that because I think it's a movie that is worth watching. If you haven't watched it yet and you do have Netflix, you should give it a shot. Um, I think having uh, Henry Cavill in it is probably uh, a push behind that too. Um, I think you've got that crowd. And I also think you've got um, the Stranger Things fans uh, following as well to, uh, to check out uh, her performance in the main role character there. Mm-hmm her being Millie Bobby Brown, which I just remembered, by the way, as I was talking, it's one of those like, man, if I could really remember this person's name, it would be great to say it. Yeah, uh, it happens to me all the time. <laughs> Seriously, it happens to me all the time. That's the, the, uh, can we, like, let's pull back the curtain here for a second. I think the hardest part of doing a movie podcast is exactly that. Yeah. That there's so much information in so many movies that at times you can just be like, uh, I'm pretty sure the person I'm talking about is the person who's in this movie, but I can't say for certain. <laughs> What's well, that phenomenon where you're going to introduce somebody and then you just, someone you know really well and you just blank out on their name in the exact moment that you need to introduce them? I don't know. It's weird. That's why we have co-hosts because we help each other. Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I still haven't seen Enola Holmes. I need to get on that. So. Yes, you do because it is very good. Yeah. And I, I'm and disappointed I'm, in you. I know. 
<laughs> what can you say? But one of us watched a movie right before this podcast in order to be able to do the podcast. So I don't know. <laughs> Fresh insight. That's that's what we bring to the people. <laughs> that's right. Okay. So Anoa Holmes did really well. Um, the last news item we have is that Joaquin Phoenix will make a return in Ridley Scott's um, movie about Napoleon. So Joaquin Phoenix will be playing Napoleon in the movie Kitbag. And uh, I think Joaquin Phoenix is the perfect choice to play a megalomaniac dictator. I wonder where we might have seen, you know, examples of him acting in that role before. Yeah. I think we all know it, and we might talk about that a little bit later. Spoiler alert. So, um, what do you think? Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon. It's uh, interesting. I can, I can see it in my head. <laughs> uh, he certainly played a broad variety of characters, many of whom with uh, mental deficiencies or issues or complexes. So, yeah, yeah I, I think personality-wise, it definitely fits. And I'm glad that I believe at one point he was saying that he was uh, retired and uh, had launched like an independent music career. And uh, I'm glad that was a short phase because he's a great actor and we need to see him acting in things. Yes. Joaquin Phoenix is a lunatic and that's a lunatic that we need in movies. He just, he just walks on out there and says his thing. And I, yeah, he's, he really is a fantastic actor. He's a crazy person, but he's a fantastic actor. So Gotta love him. And uh, him and Ridley Scott have teamed up well before. So I think that's, uh, I think that's a great combination. And look forward to it. I, I cannot remember off the top of my head a decent movie anytime recently about Napoleon. Yeah. So it's, uh, it seems like an undercovered subject matter in recent days. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. So... Let's move on to our discussion segments. So in light of the announcement of the end of the Fast and the Furious series, um, I wanted to pose a question to you. When is a good time to end a movie series? What is a good time to end it? So you have some long running series where they even go so far as to change the main actors, change the characters out, and just keep the characters. Like James Bond is a great example where you just keep you just keep the character running, you shift actors, you move on, and the franchise continues. Um, others are trilogies. Others stop at four or five movies. When when is a great time to to stop a series? Well, I think if uh, Bond had a had a catchphrase, it would be uh, "You never end once." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I really think this question depends on what series we're talking about, what kind of story they're trying to tell. Uh, if it's split up into segments, some movies come out and there's no expectation that there's going to be another movie, but it does so well that other movies follow. So it's, it's really hard to say. I don't, I don't know if I can necessarily pinpoint something. I, I will say that I think the best, movie uh collections are done over two to three movies with a clear vision in place mm -hmm. um i think uh the original trilogy 
for Star Wars is a prime example of that, that there seemed to be a plan in place that was executed from start to finish. Um, a lot of a lot of more modern takes on series tend to meander for me and don't necessarily hit the point. Um, I think one we can look at that's not super recent at this point, um, but in our lifetimes would be The Matrix, mm-hmm. that I feel like that one kind of went a little bit off the rails towards the end. Uh, the thing is that they're not bad movies, but it just seems like the quality and coherence of the story kind of dissipated as it went on. And yeah, I yeah. think that's a real danger when you've got any kind of series. Um, as far as a long series goes, I think that something like Harry Potter is kind of like the standard when it comes to that, because you've got a whole story already laid out for you from the literature and you just basically tell the story, mm-hmm. but there aren't very many series that have like yeah. 10 yeah. books worth of material. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things about James Bond that helps it is there were a lot of stories as they started, but they've also pushed beyond that and told their own story. So mm-hmm. it, it's really, a, I guess, a question of continuity and creativity when it comes to the people who are producing and designing and making the films themselves. Yeah, I think you've hit on a couple. I think you've hit on a couple of big things there. One, I think, is storytelling continuity. Do you have a specific story to tell? And how long is it going to take to to tell that story. If you have a clear vision of that, you need to stick to that clear vision. So um, another kind of unusual example would be like Kill Bill. Like when Quentin Tarantino got had the script for Kill Bill, he knew that it was just too long to film into one movie. So he had to do the choice of how I want to do it. So I want to cut this down and he didn't feel like he could. So he's like, all right, we'll make two movies and we'll be done with it. So that was a, a clear example of here's how much material I've got, so therefore I'm going to make the movies. On the reverse side, I think when they did the Hobbit series, trying to make three long, giant movies out of one book, I think they stretched the material too thin. So they tried to go for the whole trilogy thing and then stretch the material too thin. So. It's really difficult. I think one of the aspects is you have to know how much material you have and stick to that. I think the second thing, like one of the things I think makes Bond so successful is he has a very, very defined character. Like there are specific attributes of his character that show up that you can, you can pass those character attributes from one actor to the other. As long as that actor does a decent job representing that, it's still bond. So if you can, you know, distill out the traits of the specific main character, I think you can keep it running. Um, I think what, what gets series into trouble is the case where they just simply don't have enough material, but the movies are doing so well. So you just feel like you've got to keep making them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just leads to, well, when are we going to be done? I don't know. Like, yeah, I like uh, The Hobbit is a good shout there because that's that's one that's difficult because uh, I don't think I don't think um, you could have fit everything into one movie, but at the same time it wasn't three movies. But because the trilogy seems to be the base model these days, they decided to just go for it anyway. And I I agree with you that it suffered. Yeah. Uh, because of that and there's 
enough. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's tough. Cause I think, you know, you look at the fast and the furious and the thing nearly died on the bone, you know, three movies in. And so just the fact that it's going to make it through 11 movies is, is a testament to it. Um, I think action movies get away with more than movies that are trying to accomplish a little bit more um, with writing and linguistics. Cause there's just something fun about going to watch something blow up or watch cars go fast or any of those type of things that will always have some level of appeal. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to our second discussion item. So one of the things I was thinking about here um, recently is I was watching a special edition of of a movie, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. And it got me thinking, there are a number of really, really good extended editions and or director's cuts of movies. And some of them really add, substantively add a lot to the, to the films from the original content. Now we can talk a little bit about the difference between extended editions versus director's cuts when we talk about the individual movies. But I thought it would be interesting to get, get our takes on our favorite special editions, uh, extended cuts or director's cuts of movies. So what do you think? Do you want to give it a shot here? Sure. All right. I think I will, uh, I think I'll go first on this one. So I'm going to start with two of my absolute favorites. Uh, both happen to be Ridley Scott movies. Um, one is an extended edition and one is a director's cut. So these two particular movies, um, one is the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven, starring Orlando Bloom, um, where he um, journeys to the Holy Lands during the Crusades and helps defend uh, Jerusalem from a Muslim attack after um, the... Um, Templar Knights had went and raided a uh, raided and killed uh, one of the Muslim leaders sisters so it's a really really good movie uh, there's a lot of great character moments um, and a lot of good action battle scenes um, it's really really well done film but the director's edition substantively changes the plot of the movie actually, because the, um, the character of Sibylla in the original theatrical release of the movie, uh, she is the wife of the, the king of Jerusalem. And she acts in some very nefarious ways in which she knows that bad things are going to happen if she ends up giving power over to the king. And she does it anyway in terms of the original theatrical release. Well, in the, in the director's cut, she actually has a son. And the son is the reason why she, her character is making all of the decisions she makes throughout the movie. And the son in the theatrical version is completely cut out. Mm -hmm. So the director's cut adds the, her son back in, which completely changes the motivations for her character and makes her character make a whole lot more sense. 
So this is one of the things that Ridley Scott was emphatic about was that the director's a cut put the director's cut puts her son back in. So really, really love that version. Along with that, um, he released um, Ridley Scott released a extended edition of Gladiator. And both for Kingdom of Heaven and Gladiator, he gets on at the beginning of these special editions and gives a little rundown. In Kingdom of Heaven, he's like, this is the director's cut. This is the way the film should have been. But at, um, with Gladiator, he's like, this is not a director's cut. I got the exact cut I wanted at the original movie. But we filmed a lot more stuff, and we thought you guys might find it interesting. So what's fascinating about the Gladiator extended edition is that it gets significantly more into the backroom politics of the movie. So you see the negotiations with the different senators. You see how they how the scenes to try and maneuver around Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, um, how they're trying to maneuver around and outflank him in the backgrounds of the movies behind what um, behind what uh, Maximus is doing in the arena. And so there's a lot of really cool scenes that get left out. Um, the reason why they did not put them into the original movie was that the movie was supposed to be about Maximus. And so they felt that some of these extra scenes of the politics from behind uh, took away from the main narrative of Maximus, but added back in, they're really fun. Uh, so this is kind of like a side trail, but as you were talking, I was thinking about this because I haven't seen uh, either version of Kingdom of Heaven. Mm. Um so would you say that uh, him needing to come out with a director's cut to show all that stuff is a failure on his part in what to put in the final cut when it came to the theatrical release? Or do you think it's a failure on the part of the production of the movie, people above him, or is it not a failure at all? Where, where do you land on that? Because it, for it to be a completely different story means that uh, something gets lost in translation then for people who are only seeing the version that came out of the theater. Well, the, what Ridley Scott explains is that the decision was made um, that basically that ends up drawing the story out. The inclusion of her son ends up drawing the story out so that the pacing ends up being longer. So the thought was that extends the movie out uh, slows down the pacing a little bit and um, just ends up being an issue with length, overall length and pacing. Uh, so that was probably a decision that was made at a higher level. Uh, it was still a decent, pretty good movie without it, but I just think really Scott gets it correct in that there's a lot, there's just something not quite right about her character when they remove that aspect. So I would think it's probably a failure on the people above him to understand the value of what was going on there. But I'm not sure, but it's interesting. It's interesting how something like that would come down. So Rob, what do you got? Do you have uh, any particular favorites on director's cut extended editions? Yeah. The only thing that I, uh, the only one that I could think of that immediately sprang to mind is the movie King Arthur uh, starring Clive Owen as Arthur and that uh, director's cut was not so much a changing of the story in any way it, it was really more just adding uh, some context adding some more scenes some more um, character development 
longer introduction sequence, uh, really getting you more into the background of the knights and the people that they were aligning themselves with. Um, and to me, that movie is a masterpiece. Like there, I'm I'm big on uh, the story of Arthur and those legends, and uh, it's a it's a different way of telling the story. And some people really don't like it, <laughs> but I really do like it. And I I think the main reason might be that I think Clive Owen is just incredibly charismatic and believable in the role as someone who's basically in charge of the future of an entire nation. Yeah. And just does a great job. And you see it even more in the director's cut than in the, in the theatrical release. Yeah. I'm with you on that. That's, it really is a great movie and the characters on that are really, really well done. Um, The Knights, the Knights are, well, it sounds crazy because it's nice at the round table but they're round characters they really are round characters all of them um they're not stereotyped in in any way shape or form they're really raw and uh, i just thought the direction and the take was really solid and yeah i've seen the director's cut as well and it's well worth the watch if you haven't if you haven't uh gotten a chance to see that one yeah it's also uh just as another note about um, King Arthur. Uh, that movie has my favorite depiction, I think, of Merlin and who he might have been mm. compared to any other one. Um, and just kind of gives you an idea of even if all of this stuff happened in history, that there may have been a way that it was like realistically occurring and they, they were just doing some things that were so out of the realm of the people around them that they thought it had to be magic because there's no other explanation for it. Yeah, no, you're, you're right on with that. Yeah. So go see it. All right. So I'll give you one more. Um, and when it comes to extended editions, some of the most sought after extended editions were of course the ones for the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings extended editions are great. And um, taking long movies and make them even longer. But I thought of the three extended editions, my absolute favorite is The Two Towers. I think The Two Towers really added the most substance into the films. I think the scenes that they added back in really made the biggest amount of difference. Um, I mean, it didn't fundamentally change the plots of the movies or anything along those lines, but the stuff they added in the context was was much more fun, much more interesting. Um, I thought they made them, they really enhanced that, the two towers more than the extended editions hand, um, enhanced the Fellowship of the Ring or uh, the Return of the King. So um, of them, of the three great extended editions for that, I, I have to pick the two towers because I think that was the best of the extended editions. And if you haven't uh, made yourself sit down one day and have just a 10-hour Lord of the Rings extended edition marathon, then what are you even doing with your life? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Like, it has to happen at one point. We'll just sit down and just straight through all the extended editions. It's literally a whole day. Like, you just you have your meals in between the movies and you just watch all, all the movies in a row. Absolutely. Got to do it. <laughs> yeah. No, they're really good. 
All right. So check out check out some check out some director's cuts or extended editions. If you're if you're a movie fan, it's really a good way to to just dive into some some other movies and uh, to just get in deeper with some of your favorite movies. So be on the lookout for them. Let's move on to our watch list. So last week, Rob, what'd you watch? Well, last week being like tonight, I yeah. watched. Uh, <laughs> right up to the See, when, when, uh Peeling back the curtain again, when, when you have a uh, family with two little kids, uh, sometimes the things you're planning to do don't happen because let's just say hypothetically uh, that you were putting your son to bed a couple nights ago and you went to feel his head and wondered why his hair was sticky only mm. to discover that he had gum in his hair from apparently oh. several hours ago that he didn't tell you about. And <laughs> hypothetically you have to break out peanut butter and have him sit in the tub while you get the gum out of his hair. <laughs> and hypothetically it takes like two hours out of your night let's just like i'm not saying that happened but let's say hypothetically just in case uh, you know. something like that maybe possibly could have happened um <laughs> your schedule might get thrown off a little bit and that's kind of just been every night this week so i i finally got a chance after uh after my responsibilities at church today to watch uh a movie called the secrets we keep um with nomi Rapaz. Nailed it. Um, Are you sure? Are yeah, you sure I did not know how to say her name. And the reason why I know that I said it correctly is because I looked up a video of her saying it herself. So unless she's lying, <laughs> and, uh, I pronounced Nomi Rapaz correctly. And uh, she, <laughs> she plays uh, an immigrant from Romania uh, in the United States um, whose family was um, accosted during World War II by the Nazi soldiers. And she happens to one day be sitting in the park and she hears someone whistle for their dog. And the whistle kind of just sets off major PTSD mm. in her head. And it's because she remembers the whistle from the worst night of her life as she was trying to flee the Nazis. And uh, she becomes convinced that this person who lives in her town halfway around the world is the same soldier who um, hurt her and her family 15 years previously mm. and just becomes obsessed with getting this person to confess. Now, what I found really interesting uh, about the movie is that that's clearly the focus and drive of the movie, but really the underlying story that's being told in the movie is uh, theme. what happens when we're not honest with the people that love us about what's happened in our past because none of what ends up happening in the movie would have happened if she had just been honest with her husband about who she was and the hard times she went through. So I really thought it was instructive and helpful in reminding us that we need to work through the struggles and traumas we've been through um, with the people that actually care about us. Because if you let them uh, just stay inside of you and eat away at who you are, when it finally comes to light, people aren't going to recognize who you are. And I, I always think that there's a message behind any movie that's made. There's always an agenda. 
that's one of the things about movie making and one thing that you should watch out for and be careful about sometimes when you're watching certain movies. But I think in, in the case of this movie, it was a very powerful message that was being brought across about what we do with the hard times from our past, the things that we don't want anyone else to know about. So the secrets we keep um, highly <clears throat> recommended uh, by me. And I would say that uh, the very last scene of the movie, the way it closes, a lot of movies can struggle with how do you, how do you end the movie? What, what shot do you end with? Is there a dialogue? Like what, what's going on? What's happening? Is, is there a musical swell? Is there something flying towards the screen? Uh, like anim every animated movie ever. <laughs> uh, and this one, I think uh, they really nailed the ending. Mm. And so watch, watch out for that particularly when you watch this movie because just the, the last scene and the last image they focus on really encapsulates that whole idea of where are you left once the truth comes out in your life. Nice. Very nice. This is the kind of fresh, deep cutting insight you get when I've watched a movie literally an hour ago. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I watched, I watched a couple of movies this week and it wasn't intentional, but they both kind of had some political implications. Um, and they were, I mean, they weren't, it wasn't directly like there weren't documentaries directly about politics, but uh, the first one I watched was a 2006 movie called man of the year with Robin Williams, where he plays a, a, a late night comedic TV show host who then decides to run for president and through a bunch of quirks in the system ends up becoming president. And it's a really fascinating movie because it, one of the things it talks about is kind of how, um, which I think is kind of, it's kind of fascinating given the reality of Donald Trump being president, that it talks about the idea that there would be a space for more of an entertainment bent in politics with everything being stodgy and that there would be a space for somebody who has a more entertainment bent. So whether you like him or hate Donald Trump, he certainly comes from an entertainment bent. And so it was just fascinating to watch them talk about the idea of, of there being space for entertainers in politics, whether you think that's a good thing or a terrible thing. Um, it was fascinating to watch that now having seen everything unfold. And I think Robin Williams is quite good in the movie. Um, some of his comedy is, is a lot of fun. And of course, Christopher Walken is always fun. And he keeps making all these analogies about because he Robin Williams goes on the campaign trail and then just talks about issues and doesn't do any stand up and doesn't do anything funny and he keeps uh walking keeps coming in with all these analogies it's like it's like going to have sex and forgetting to bring a woman well <laughs> <laughs> he just he just has like more and more and more of these every single time and and so it's 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 a funny movie but uh it did feel a little eerie watching it um now so have you seen Man in the Year? I have not. Yeah, it's it's a fun movie. So, um, and the second one I watched was The Hunt with uh, Betty Gilpin and Hilary Swank. Uh, interesting movie. Yeah, uh, I have I had seen this one earlier, so I'm interested yeah. in uh, your thoughts. So it's a Blumhouse production. So it comes from a more horror bent, 
Um, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly, as you were indicating before I watched it last week, that it definitely has a graphic nature to it. A lot of people die. Um, there's a lot of killing. Um, but what I think is fascinating about it is I think the story in it, in and of itself is, is kind of, um, a little bit of reducto ad absurdum, which is, is kind of the idea of you take something that's happening to its most extreme conclusion to make a point. And so I think that's what the movie attempts to address is what happens when you're, because part of the movie is you have basically supposed to be like the right wing people who hate the, who hate the left and the left wing people who hate the right. And what happens when they go so far that they dehumanize each other enough where they're perfectly fine with just killing each other. Uh, just because they're of kind of the opposite political affiliation. And so I think it's a fascinating idea of what happens when you allow polarization and division to go so far and you dehumanize each other so much that it opens up the possibility where that dehumanization ends up in just straight up killing and murder. Um, so it's, it's a patently absurd film in a lot of ways, very most dangerous game as we talked about last week. Um, but I think that's the kind of the main point is what can happen, um, taken to the utter extreme, what can happen when you allow division to dehumanize the people who disagree with you? What, were, what, were your, what was your take on it? It kind of reminds me in that way of like a grown up Lord of the Flies almost mm. in that you're looking at uh, the basest and worst natures of people uh, left to their own devices and able to do whatever they want to do with uh, their power or lack of power. And it what was fascinating to me is that there's, there's all these people who are in this place being hunted by these rich people. And there's so many people in that hunted group who seem to be completely paranoid and just like, they're like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. Like, I, I, I've, I've been saying this on my blog for years, or I've been saying it on my podcast. And the heroine of the story, the main character, uh, really just seems to be calm, cool, and collected about all of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one of my favorite scenes is uh, she's in a convenience store. Mm. And she asked for a pack of cigarettes and the lady says a certain price and she's like, Oh, you messed up <laughs> because the pack, the cost of cigarettes in this state is blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, okay. So she knows what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just the, the calculated cool nature of the people who are hunting these people and just the, absolute lack of any care or compassion at all for the people involved. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, it's an absurdity. It's um, something that I really, really hope could never happen in real life. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it does bring out some issues that need to be addressed and considered about how we talk to people, how we treat people. Um, because I think a lot of things that get said online or in arguments with people 
the uh, we don't often think about the weight of the words that are being used or the con logical conclusions or endpoints of arguments we're making um, if we let them go all the way to the end like this movie does. And so I, I like that. It's not, it's not really, it's not satire because it's not like making fun of something that's physically happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you said, it's more of a, a reductive kind of, uh, this is the worst possible version of events if we let ourselves go down that road. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to tell a story. We're going to tell a story by just murdering a whole bunch of people. So, yeah. So if you're... Yeah, uh, don't watch this movie if you don't like blood. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not horror in the traditional sense where it's not going to scare you in any way, shape, or form. But it's just really violent. Um, but I thought overall it was well done. So if you're into uh, that kind of thing, check it out. So, Rob, what what you got coming up this week? Anything that's on your agenda? Uh, I was just thinking about you talking about Christopher Walken, and uh, this is really bizarre and completely uh, non sequitur to all, all these other serious movies we've been talking about. But I think I'm gonna have to watch Joe Dirt this week because <laughs> when you're talking about Christopher Walken, all I could think about was him pulling up next to me and saying, "You got my boy all wrong." <laughs> again i'll stab you in the face of the saturn iron so i you know that's just, that movie is just it's gold it's terrible but it's hilarious and uh i need i need something terrible and hilarious in my life nice um and then uh, uh if i have time and uh my son doesn't continue to stick things in his hair that don't belong i'm sure i can watch something or uh, one or two other things nice. at some point during the week so I didn't make it to the theaters last week. I really wanted to, but the schedule just didn't allow it. But this week I, would, uh, I wouldn't mind checking out The Honest Thief with Liam Neeson. And uh, so it looks like a classic Liam Neeson, standard Liam Neeson movie and character. But I kind of like it. So I know what I'm expecting going in. So I, well, I, I also do think I'm going to watch The Witches, which um, is coming out on HBO Max either today or tomorrow. Okay. It'll be out this weekend and a uh, remake of the original movie, um, which my wife said she hated. So I'm interested in oh, seeing yeah. this version because she really likes Stanley Tucci. So we're going to see uh, how the balances <laughs> shake out on that one. Stanley Tucci versus hated movies. You got yes. Stanley <laughs> <Tucci>. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm, uh, I'm planning on catching up with a couple things that have been on my watch list for a while that I haven't gotten a chance to. And one is on HBO Max, and it's uh, Much Ado About Nothing, the uh, Shakespearean play um, starring Amy Acker. I love Amy Acker. Amy Acker is great. So that's one of the main reasons. I love Shakespeare, and Amy Acker is awesome. Have so, you seen Have you seen uh, this version before? I have not. I have not seen it. This is This is the uh, Joss Whedon yes. version. Yeah, uh, it's very good. I, I've seen it. A few, I own it, so I've seen it a few times. Yes, and uh, it's really interesting because it's in black and white, and the dialogue is the original dialogue, but uh, they do such a good job at conveying what's happening through setting and action that. I really liked it because it really displays for me how timeless a lot of what Shakespeare wrote is because you don't need to necessarily understand every single thing that's being said to catch what's happening. 
mm-hmm. and the actors just do such a great job with it that uh, it's a really good telling of the story for a modern context. Yeah, I've wanted to see it for a while, just haven't gotten around to it. So you can see that. And uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the, uh, the documentary about Mr. Rogers. This is not the one with Tom Hanks. This is mm-hmm. the one that came out just before that. Uh, the actual documentary Tom Hanks. I saw it, I saw this one in theaters and it was so, so good. I mean, it just brought Mr. Rogers back to life again in terms of remembering how important this guy was. And I thought one of the best scenes in that was, was it showed him at, in front of Congress getting angry at Congress because of what they're allowing to seep into children's minds. And it was just like, you just don't see that side of Mr. Rogers. Just, you know how much he loved children, but to see him, to see him take that to the next level where he's really trying to defend and protect children was really, really cool to see. So it just gives you more sides of, of Mr. Rogers. I also saw that in the theater. And the one thing that really stuck out to me when I saw it was the audience that I was in the theater with because there were, um, like high school and college kids, there was me and my wife, and then there were people in like their 60s and 70s, all in the theater watching the movie about this guy because he impacted either us or um, the older people's kids in some cases, like just the influence that he had across like 30 or 40 years of kids growing up is uh, stunning, honestly, achievement. Yeah. And, and I really like how it brought out some of the work he did um, with social justice issues and just being a good person and caring about people. Because I think when you're a kid, you, when you're a kid, you have the naivety and, and just the, the belief that everyone always cares about each other. And so for us watching it, it wasn't a weird thing to see some of the things he did, but to see the context he was doing it in, and, and how some of it was revolutionary uh, was was really impactful for me when I watched the movie. Yeah, and I just think too, like his he was not afraid or of addressing hard issues. Like he didn't think that you needed to sugarcoat things for kids, but he found ways to deal with it. Like even things like death, you know, specifically talking about death around. I think the death of Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I forget which which one of the Kennedys this was after, but like he had a show on death where he talked to kids about death and you would just not expect that. But he he felt that you needed to address things and he did such a good job of doing it in ways that were both subtle and impactful. So yeah, definitely see Won't You Be My Neighbor if you haven't. All right, Rob, you got anything else? I do not, other than it's bedtime. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Film for Fans podcast. Um, Remember to like us on whatever podcast platform that you follow us on. Um, Leave us a review. We'd love to know what you're hearing, what you're uh, liking about the show, or any comments or collections. Uh, Check out filmforfans.com and check out our YouTube channel if you'd rather see our smiling, amazing faces instead of just hearing our uh, wonderful voices. So until next time, enjoy the movies. Bye.